This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. We're in the middle of a series called Life Hacks, where every week we're going to take a passage of Scripture. We're going to go to it and just invite God to essentially hack an area of our life. Um, And for many of us, we've prayed to God, just God, would you help me with my marriage? Would you help me with my attitude? Would you help me in in my my job? Would you help me as a parent? And the truth is, is that God has already helped you. He's already given you His Word, and in His Word, He's given us timeless truth. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on that in specific areas of our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody in here, every once in a while, you just need a little encouragement. Y'all ever been there? You know, I just feel, I feel a little down today. I, I, I feel like I'm a little lost in this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to text me at 704-237-6764. And here's what's going to happen. About once a week, you're just going to get a little note from me, just encouraging you in your life. Now, here's the thing. When you text into that number, it's going to send you back a link, and you got to go through it and just fill out just some basic stuff so I know who you are so I can respond back to you. But if you'll do that, it gives me the chance to about once a week send you a note and just encourage you. I'd love to be able to do that. Now, every week in this series, we're going to go to a passage of Scripture, and today we're going to the really the end of Philippians chapter 1 and the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. And in that, we get an attitude correction. Y'all ever needed to get your attitude corrected? Well, if you didn't know you needed it, you're in the wrong place. Just saying, okay? We, every once in a while, we need to get an attitude correction. And the Word of God actually does that in this passage. Would you stand as we read together? You can follow along with the words that are in the Scripture. We're going to begin at the end of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past. And you know that I'm still in the midst of it. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate that make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you thankful for your word. There are too many times, God, we have embraced sinful, broken attitudes and we give you permission in this room to confront them, to challenge them, to convict us in them and to change us as you conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen, amen. As you take a seat, touch your neighbor and tell him one of us needs an attitude adjustment. <laughs> now touch your, touch your neighbor back and say, I believe it's you. <laughs> I want to ask you a question today. How's your attitude been? Oh, think about it. How's your attitude been personally? And, and a definition for attitude, it's, it's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something that is most often exhibited through a person's behavior. The reason we need to talk about attitudes is attitudes don't just stay in our hearts. They find their way into our actions. Psychologists or counselors would say that an attitude is the way you approach something. It's your mindset about something. This is so important to investigate and to turn over and to look at within you, within your heart, that even in education, I mean, locally, if you're a teacher, you know that we have taught a lot about do you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset? Why? Because we want students to understand that we're here to grow. We're here to learn. We're here to change. That's what your mindset is an attitude. So how's your attitude? Would you be happy with your kids if they had your attitude? Would you be happy with your employees if they had your attitude? If you're a teacher, would you be happy with your students if they had your attitude? Think about it. How's your attitude been? I want to make a few observations about attitude as we get started. And the first one is this. Your attitude is your responsibility. Your attitude is your responsibility. You can try to blame things that have happened to you and the circumstances of life, but I want you to understand this very plainly. Your attitude is your responsibility. There is a difference between what happens to us and how we respond to what happens to us. Y'all listen to me. You cannot control what happens to you. And that reality in this room represents some very difficult circumstances. There's some of y'all here that what happened to you, especially when you were a child, was traumatic and difficult and in some ways, life-changing. You can't change what happens to you. But you can change how you respond to it. You are responsible for your reactions. 
This is why I used to be a high school football coach, and we would coach, you know, if you get shoved, don't shove back. If you get punched, don't punch back, because it's the second person that always gets the penalty and the flag. Why is, what's the principle there? The principle is that's a reaction. You got to guard your reaction. You can't control what they do. You can't control what happens in life, but you are responsible for your reactions. You can't blame your circumstances. I'm not letting you off the hook today. You can't blame your mom, your dad, how you grew up, the way your neighbors are. Your attitude is your responsibility because number two, your attitude is your choice. It's your choice. An attitude is a choice that you make. And the good news about that is if you came in with a bad attitude today, you got a bad attitude in your marriage, you got a bad attitude at your job, you got a bad attitude as a parent, you got a bad attitude in your neighborhood, the good news is that you can change your attitude. You can choose a different attitude. Can I just talk about what a bad attitude, just give you some examples. Being selfish is a bad attitude. Always worried about yourself. Always worried about what you're going to get out of it. Being angry. All right, anger's always born out of control. Well, it didn't happen the way. Now I'm mad. Being never satisfied. It's never good enough. It'll never be good enough. Living by comparison. I'm better than them. I'm not as good as them. Making negative assumptions about people. Thinking negatively about others. Being lazy. Not wanting to work. Not wanting to go after it. Blaming your circumstances for why you're not doing what you know you're supposed to do. Complaining about everything. And doing nothing about it. Just complaining. Being pessimistic, the glass is always half empty. Being argumentative. It's fun to tell somebody that they're argumentative and watch them argue with you back. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. It's real fun. Bad attitude. See, the thing about it being a choice is when it's a choice, there's accountability. This is important to understand in the kingdom of God. There are things in life that you don't get to choose. You don't get to choose how fast you are. You didn't get to choose how smart you are or how tall you are. There are things you don't get to choose, but you have choices. And with your choices, there's accountability. And within the kingdom of God, the way that God designed it is when I make good choices, the accountability is that I'm given rewards. When I make bad choices, I am disciplined. That's the accountability that comes with it. I mean, think about the parable of the talents. Three servants giving different amounts of financial resources to manage for their master. Two of them, the master comes back. What does he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now you'll be trusted with more. There's a reward. You make good choices. But the one who wasn't faithful has it taken away and given to somebody else. What is that? That's discipline. Okay? You can have a sinful attitude. And when you have a sinful attitude, it invites the discipline of God. It's your choice. Your attitude is your choice. 
It is your choice. And because it's your choice, it has big implications. So much so that I'd say this, number three, your attitude is creating your reality. Some of you have bad marriages because you have a bad attitude about your marriage. Some of you are struggling in your parenting because you have a bad attitude about your kids. Some of you think you have a bad career or a bad job because you have a bad attitude about your boss or your job or your place of work. It's all in the attitude. It's creating your reality. See, a bad attitude can ruin a good thing. And if you don't stop and inspect your attitudes... What can happen is that bad attitude that you bring into your job, that you bring into your marriage, that you bring into your parenting, it can ruin what is really a good thing. Y'all ever been like, hey, you know what, kids? We're going to go out to dinner. We're going to go out to a nice dinner. You know what? We're going to get all dressed up. We're going to go. We're going to sit down. You know, just order, let's order something nice off the menu. We want to have a nice family. And all of a sudden, your kids are mad. They don't have chicken tenders. I want McDonald's. I'd rather have a happy meal. And what happens? All of a sudden, what was supposed to be nice becomes very challenging and difficult. And it, all it is is an attitude. Now, this isn't in your notes, but I want to go through some important attitudes to check. And if I were you, I'd write these down. Some important attitudes every once in a while that we need to take a step back and we need to check them within ourselves. These four, if I'm honest, the world is trying to sell you an attitude that is so broken in these areas. And the things of God, the economy of God, the, the kingdom of God, the way God wants us to live is so opposed to the way the world wants us to have these attitudes. We need to check them regularly. Here's the first one. We need to check our attitude about ourselves. Let me check our attitude about every once in a while, you gotta just take a step back. How big's my ego? Am I making things that aren't about me, about me? How teachable and coachable am I? Am I easy to have a tough conversation with? Do I value the input of other people? What's your attitude about yourself? All it is is pride. It's a question of pride. How prideful are you? Are you allowing yourself? And the thing is, is that when we get real prideful, our attitude, we can be arrogant for sure. Okay, But sometimes we get real insecure, and all it is is the same thing. We're just so focused on ourselves. Here's another one. We need to check our attitude on authority. We need to check our attitude on authority. I mean, think about it. What's the world tell you? What's the world's way of dealing with authority? It's to rebel against it. Romans 13. If y'all want to read a little passage that will cause you to struggle to understand it, Romans 13, the very beginning of it. One, two, and three. All authority is instituted by God. If I try to go against that authority, I'm rebelling against the things of God. What is my attitude about authority? Am I looking for people that are in my life that God put in my life? Would you speak into me? Would you challenge me? Would you, I'm going to come to you with my questions. I'm going to come to you with my... Or, or are you pushing against it? 
Are you resisting it? Because really this is an issue of submission. And let me just make this claim, okay? When it comes to the things of God, God calls us into submitted relationships to authority, which means submission implies that we don't agree. Okay? It's not agreement. I don't agree with you, but I submit to you even when I don't agree or understand. We've got to check our attitude on authority. Here's another one. Check your attitude on work. Oh, I'm telling you what. There's some of us in this room, we need an attitude adjustment when it comes to the way we think about work. Everything you ever desire in life, every purpose that God will give you requires work. And we live in a culture that has devalued work. We want things instantly. I want to get where my parents were when I was a kid after they'd worked 20 years. I want to be there in two years of working. I'm telling you, you got to get the right attitude about work because if you have the wrong attitude about work, you will start to despise the things that you're working in. I've never seen this more plainly than I've seen it with young parents. Praying for that kid. God, would you bless us with a baby? Would you bless us with a baby? But not realizing that that child's going to come with more laundry. God, I hate this laundry. It's going to come with more messes. I hate the messes. It's going to come with more chaos. I hate the chaos. And all of a sudden, you got a bad attitude about everything that came with that child. What happens? It bleeds over into the way that you treat that child. Every purpose God gives you will require work. We've got to check our attitude when it comes to work. Here's another one. Checking our attitude about others. We've got to check our attitude about others. God, God am, I, am I treating people well? Am I... Am I adding value to people? Am I, am I only being nice to people that, that I think, man, I can get something from them? Why is that so important? What's well, important because we're called to live in community. You weren't created just for you. You were created to be a blessing to other people, to be a help to others, and to be helped. Okay. If you're not got some people in your life that are speaking into you, some people who are upstream, and some people who are downstream, some people you're pouring, you're missing out. you got to check your value on others, your attitude about others. Why do we need to do Every once in a while, why do we need to do that? And here's why. A bad attitude creates an unnecessarily negative reality. Some of us we got some bad attitudes about things in our life. Bad attitudes about our spouse. Bad attitudes about our kids. Bad attitudes about what's going on at work. And all it's doing is creating an unnecessarily bad attitude, a bad reality for you because your attitude is so corrupted about it. But see, the thing is, your attitude is your choice. You can choose a different attitude. And when you do, there are profound implications. See, number four, look at this. A lot can change if your attitude changes. A lot can change. 
I mean, there's a great living explanation of that here at our church. Earlier this year, we did our first international missions trip. Sent a team down to Honduras. And I want to tell you what, those people came back with a different attitude. You know, you think about the things that wear on us throughout a day. Oh, the power went out for 30 minutes while I was getting ready. That's why my hair's not right. And, you know, I'm, I didn't get to take my hot shower. And then you go down there and they don't have any power. And you're over here and you're like, you know, I don't know which meal we're going to cook tonight. We're arguing about what kind of diet we're going to do. And you go down there and they don't even have food to eat that night. What happens? You get confronted and yeah, you come home so happy, so excited, so thankful. It's a new attitude. See, a lot can change without anything changing except your attitude. Your marriage can change if your attitude about your marriage changes. Your parenting can change if your attitude about your kids change. Your job, your career can change if your attitude about it will change. There's a lot that can change if nothing changes but your attitude. So let's go back to the passage. And I want to see what the Apostle Paul said. He actually, we read a lot before we got to this moment. But I want to go back to this. Verse 5, it's the first part. Look at what he says. He says, you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Okay? You must. Now notice the phrase must. He didn't say it would make me happy if you had the same attitude as Christ Jesus. He didn't say, it's a very good thing, it's good for you. He said, this is a must, and this is why. Y'all listen to me. You cannot live the life of Jesus without the attitude of Jesus. And as Christians, we're called to follow Christ in the way we live, which means we must follow Christ in our attitude. And here's what's amazing. Leading up to this, in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul has hacked for us the attitude of Jesus Christ. Put it so plainly, so simply, we're going to go back through the text. I'm going to make some practical observations for you today. Go back to verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort, any fellowship? In together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now, why is he asking these questions? Because the implied answer is that for this church, yes, yes, you found encouragement. You have been comforted. You found fellowship. Your hearts have changed. Jesus has done a work in you. Your life, because of what Jesus has done for you, is not even the same anymore. So look at what he says next. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. I want to make an observation that's here that is really a foundational principle that he's building that the other ones stack on top of. And it's this, number one, God desires for his people to live in unity. God desires for his people to live in unity. Now, unity is a direct opposite of division. Now, notice the world likes to divide us. 
We're divided because of our skin color. We're divided because of where we grew up. We're divided because of teams that we like or our politics or all of these other things. The world wants to divide us into different camps. Here's something that's present. Y'all need to see this. If you don't see this, you're missing this in the Bible. The call to unity implies the presence of diversity. When the Bible asks us to come together, it is implying that there are plenty of reasons that we wouldn't. That might be your politics. It might be how you grew up. It might be how you think about. And here's the truth. There's a lot of division out there, but in here, we ought to be united. Now what does that mean? I want you to see this. Biblical unity starts with us being in agreement with God and His Word. There are too many of us in this room like, I need you to get on my team. Listen, ain't everybody going to get on your team. You need to get off your team and get on Team Jesus. When you come into this place, unity is not built because people agree with you. It's built because we agree with God. This is why we're not called to be in unity with the world. We're called to be in unity with those who are a part of the family of God. This is what Jesus is praying in John 17. May they be one as you are in me and I am in you. Who's the they? The they is the church. This is why, y'all listen to me. You are not called to be in unity with the world. You get around people who do not follow Jesus Christ, who do not value the things of the kingdom of God. You are not called to live in unity with them. Now the Bible says make every effort to live in peace with them, but not unity. Unity is in this place. And the reason we have unity is not because we're all on Kevin's team or on your team. It's because we're all on team Jesus. What does that have to do with with attitudes? See, a bad attitude makes unity impossible. It makes unity impossible. See, I want you to hear this. God wants you at home to dwell in unity. God wants you at work to dwell in unity. God wants your business in unity. If you're on a sports team, He wants your sports team in unity. God wants things to come into unity, and a bad attitude will keep you from living in unity. The Apostle Paul then goes on to list four characteristics of the attitude of Jesus Christ. Now, Right after he gets done, this is when he says, you must have that attitude. But let's go back through those four. Here's the first one. Don't be selfish. Just straighten to the point. Don't be Don't make it all about you. If I'm going to give you just a practical statement, number two, kill the sinful compulsion to make everything about yourself. Put it to death. Don't entertain it. Don't let it dwell. Put it to death. Kill the sinful compulsion to make everything in your life about you. The greatest enemy most of us face every day when we wake up is ourselves. It's your ego. It's your pride. The Bible says this in Proverbs 16. Look at this. That pride comes before a disaster. Arrogance before a fall. 
pride only has one way it's working. It's towards a crash. When you let pride live in your finances or in your marriage or in your friendships, what's going to happen is invariably they're going to come to a collapse. You've got to kill pride or it'll kill you. That's why the Apostle Paul starts, don't be selfish. Look at the life of Jesus. Was he selfish? No, he wasn't. If you're going to have the attitude of Christ, you've got to put that to death. Then he goes and he says this, don't try to impress others. I'm telling you what, if there's ever been a moment that we needed to hear that culturally, it's right now. Social media has sold us a lie that our lives need to always be impressive. We got to look right, act right. I mean, can I just say this? You can't take pictures of my kids when we go to a Mexican restaurant because we're going to get some queso and they're going to get it everywhere, okay? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's going to be all over their face, all over the table, all over their shirts. They're going to walk out wearing some queso. I want to love Jesus the way my kids love queso, okay? But we've been sold the lie. You can, never, you can never post that picture. You can never tell that story. Don't try to impress others. That's what Paul's saying. Let me make that real simple. Number three, value authenticity. Value authenticity. You need to get some stuff in your life where you are real with who you are where you live in real, authentic relationships, where you're living authentically the way that God really designed your life to be. Value, authenticity. I'm going to give you two simple applications. Be yourself authentically. What happens when we try to impress others? We try to be something we're not. Okay? Somebody needs to hear this. Y'all look at me. You're enough. For whatever God's called you to do, Wherever God's called you to be, you're enough. You don't have to act like anybody else. You don't have to try to be somebody else. You're enough. Be yourself authentically. And the second thing is seek authentic connection. Because when we try to impress other people, what happens is we create a false connection with them. Listen. If you got some people in your life that you feel like, I can't show them the broken me. I can't show them the flawed me. I, I, I need to constantly impress them. That connection that you share with them, that relationship is ultimately flawed. It might only be your attitude. But you don't want somebody in your life that's going to reject you because they see your flaws. Seek authentic connection. The original text that's here, it, the, the text literally means reject vain conceit. Reject vain conceit. And the, the great theologian F.F. F. Bruce says that if you understood the first century, that phrase vain conceit was used all over the Greco-Roman world because there were people and this is what it was used to describe. There were people who would try to be something that they weren't. 
Now, they didn't have the internet and social media. So if somebody showed up to a community and said, I'm from Rome, I'm a dignitary, they would be treated great. They would be treated with all the pomp and circumstance and nobody would know if it was real or not. And then they'd be found out as if they were lying. And they'd move to another community. And they'd do the same thing. And that was the phrase that they used. And Bruce said, when you reflect on that, what they were doing was trying to live in a glory that was not theirs to live in. When our motives start with impressing other people, we don't live authentically. We don't. And some of y'all might struggle with, I'm not enough. But the truth is, you're trying to act like somebody else. You're never going to be enough when you're trying to be somebody else. It takes work to live authentically. you got to ask the question, who am I? What am I passionate about? What, what are my purposes in life? What are my values? And y'all listen to me because somebody needs to hear this. If you live that way, you might impress somebody else. I mean, there might be some people that sit back and go, wow, I am so amazed at who you've become and what you're doing but you're not living for it. The text said, don't try to impress somebody else. And then it goes on to say, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. I love this because we understand humility. We get this idea. It's opposed to proud. I don't need to be puffing myself up. I don't need to be acting like I'm something that I'm not. I've already, but the Apostle Paul adds a caveat to this, which explains what he's trying to communicate. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Be humble in your relationships. I'd put it this way, number four. Guard the way you think about other people. Guard the way you think about others. I'm telling you, pride will lie to you about other people. Pride will lie to you and tell you that you are better than them. I don't struggle with that. I, I don't need to be told that. I, I would never, don't you... Pride will also lie to you and say, I'm not as good as them. Pride manifests in arrogance and in insecurity. They are both an over-infatuation with myself. And it'll get you believing the wrong things about it. It'll get you believing, well, they said that because they don't believe in me. And they said that because they were trying to put me down. And they said that because they were trying to discourage me. Do you assume the best of people? There are times when all we're left with is an assumption. I've got this point of reference and this point of reference. I don't know what happened in the in-between. All I'm left with is what I assume about it. Are you assuming the best? Believing the best? The Apostle Paul says, think about others as if they're better than yourself. See, humility is accurately knowing ourselves in regards to God and other people. See, so many of us think that humility is putting myself down. 
Listen, if God made you to be something and you're calling yourself less than what God made you to be, I'm telling you, that's not humility. That's pride in the manifest form of insecurity. It's accurately knowing myself. I know where I'm weak. I know where I'm strong. And I know especially where I am in relationship to God Himself. And when I see that, it begins to create an alignment with others. Be humble, thinking of others. Live authentically. Live authentically. And then, value other people. Guard the way you think about them. Guard the way you think about others. Don't assume the worst. Assume the best. And in verse 4, right before he says, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Look at what he says. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Be interested in other people. I, I think this can be summarized, number five, by being genuinely invested in adding value to other people. See, sometimes we need to take a, a step back and in our evaluation of our attitude of other people, we need to ask the question, am I only interested if it interests me? Am I only interested in being there or participating or serving or giving if I know that I'm going to get something in return? Or am I showing up when I'm not going to get anything? Am I showing up when it's just, I want to add value to your life. I want to come in and help you. I don't need anything from you. I've been where you've been. I've walked through a divorce. I want to hold your hand while you go through that. I've been through a tough time financially. I've been there. I'm on the other side. I'll hold your hand while you go through this time. I'm just here to add value to you. Now, if you're a parent, y'all listen to me. There's something really important here. A lot of times as parents, we want our kids to meet us where we're interested. That's not good parenting. You want to be a good parent, meet your kids where they're interested. Okay? What, the, the Apostle Paul said simply, take an interest in others. Figure out what your kids are interested in and do it with them. All right? Now think about that question. Do you add value others. I mean, are you showing up in other people's lives? And, Listen, I don't need anything in return. I'm just here to hold your hand, walk through this. I'll help you move, whatever. Do you add value to others? Let's take a, a, a broader look at this passage. Think about what it's telling us. He starts out with uh, agree together. Be, be wholeheartedly together. Love one another. Work together. Why, why do we not do that? Why do we not agree, work together, love one another? I want to submit to you that we don't do that because we think we're going to lose something. If I agree with you, I've got to let go of this. If I'm going to love you, I've got to let go of this. If we're going to work together, i got to... Why? We think we're going to lose something. I'm going to give, I'm going to give up the glory. I'm going to give up the good stuff. And then he says, no, no, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress each other. Be humble. Don't look out for yourself. Why are we that way? And this is important. Why are we that way? Why are we selfish? Why are we trying to impress other people? Why are we so prideful and looking out for ourselves? 
It's because sin sells us the lie that we have to elevate ourselves. If I don't make myself look good, nobody else is going to make me look good. If I don't get the attention, nobody else is going to give me the attention. But is that the same attitude as Christ? Because in verse 5, The Apostle Paul says, we must have the same attitude as Christ who did not consider equality with God something to regard. He let go of it. He knew there was something good and he said, you know what? We're going to let go of that. We're going to get rid of that. I'm going to become a slave to the message and the method of the Father. I'm going to become a human being and when he became a human, he submitted himself to the Father to the point of going to the cross. Look at what the Bible says next. Beginning in verse 9. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The attitude of Christ comes with the rewards of Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul is saying, we must have the attitude of Jesus Christ. Because if you'll surrender your attitude to God, He will raise you up. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it for yourself. If you'll surrender your pride, if you'll surrender your inclination to try to impress other people, if you'll start valuing authenticity, if you'll make unity a priority, what will happen is God will raise you up. In the words of Jesus from Matthew 23, those who exalt themselves will be humble. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I didn't say this in the first service, but I feel like somebody in here needs to hear this. The things that we so often try to get through the motivation of pride can really only be accessed through humility. And if you'll humble yourself, if you'll surrender to God, He will raise you up. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.